This morning I'm using all our prayers uh, from published sources because the farm we have is a tricky one to work with and it felt like it was good to use somebody else's words who was a little bit cleverer than I am. So our call to worship comes from the Lutheran Peace Fellowship. O oh God, you are a God of life to us. You show yourself as a source of compassion as we struggle for whole relationships in the home, our communities, our nation and our world. We recognise your presence among us in our life and worship and ask your gentle spirit to constantly open our hearts to the ways of justice and peace. We ask all of this in your name because you alone are holy, are holy our true justice and peace. Our first hymn this morning is a good old Wesley hymn to a nice, uh, lively tune. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise. If you're able and would like to, please stand as we sing. <coughs>
So we come to God in prayer, and after I've led us in prayer, we join together in the Lord's Prayer in whatever language or version feels the most natural and comfortable. Let's pray together. God, our Maker, your joy lies at the heart of creation, and your abundant life is reflected in all its beauty and richness. Forgive us when, in the pursuit of wealth and false happiness, we abuse the earth and despoil its goodness. Teach us again to wonder at the world, and so to glimpse your glory there, that we may learn the joy of being true stewards of all that you have entrusted to our care. Lord Jesus, you placed a child in our midst and remind us that in God's kingdom the last shall be first. Forgive us when in the pursuit of wealth and false happiness we exploit and abuse children through inattention and lack of care, through war and unjust markets. Enable us so to marvel at your handiwork in the miracle of human life that we may learn to value and protect the dignity of all especially the very least amongst us. Holy Spirit, you inspire the announcement of good news to the poor and make us restless for what can truly fill our hearts. Forgive us when in the pursuit of wealth and false happiness we count profit more important than people and possessions more important than justice. By your grace, show us again where true riches lie, that we may dare to be good and rejoice in the glory of your love. Holy God, you remind us that where our treasure lies, there will our hearts be also. Keep us from the desire to possess what cannot satisfy. Teach us again the values of your kingdom and give us a yearning to be filled by all that is of you. Through Christ our Lord, who taught his followers when they prayed to say together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen.
could have four or five volunteers. Okay, Freya, yeah, thank you. Carl, thank you. Don't have to be children or teenagers, can be adults as well. Thank you, Addy and Esther. One more would be great. Thank you, Andrew. Fantastic. Okay, so the first thing we're going to do is I've got, it's a walking stick um, that I've had for many, many years, and we're all going to hold it on one finger, and without saying anything to each other, we have to try to lower it down to the ground. Okay? So one finger, one finger only. And no talking, and we have to lower it all the way down to the ground. If we can do that. Well done, that's brilliant. Give yourselves a clap. Okay, now then. How many have you got? One, two, three. Okay, um, if, this might not work because I don't know that Esther's big enough to do this one. Can we all hold hands? And we're going to number rounds. So, Andrew, can you start numbering? And then, Addy, so you're number one and Addy's number two. Okay. One, two. So, Esther's three. three. Four, five. Six. Now, when I say go, if you're an odd number, I want you to lean backwards. And if you're an even number, this is why it might not work with Esther, <laughs> I want you to lean forwards. Okay. okay, and try not to drop hands. Your marks, get set, go. <laughs> I thought that. Should we have another go? One, two, three, go. Oh, sort of. Well done. Okay, last one. Can we turn round into a circle? Who's done? Uh, put hands on the shoulder of the. Turn the other way round. That's it. Hands on the shoulder of the person. <laughs> I think we can let Esther off on. I think we can let Esther off on this one. And then, when I say go, I want you to sit on the knees of the person behind you. One. You want to do what? Sit on the knees of the person behind you. Okay. One, two, three, go. And then let go. Well done. Well done. Okay, brilliant. You can go and sit down now. Thank you very much indeed. You did fantastically well. I have to say, that's the first time ever I've been part of a group of people who've managed to do the stick one, because usually somebody goes racing down or gets left behind. So different kinds of games that we've just played. Can anybody think what word or words would connect all of those? Team. Teamwork, cooperation, yep, really good. What else? Trust. Trust, yep. So we have to work together, we have to work together as a team, we have to cooperate with each other, and we have to trust each other. And that's kind of one of the words we're thinking about today, at least with the grown-ups, 
is about who you trust. So who do you trust to help you with things? Who are people or organisations that we trust? Anybody trust their mum and dad? <laughs> oh dear, I better not look at them. Um, grand and grand, grands and granddads? Bosses? No, don't trust your bosses, okay. Um, do you trust Sheila when she's playing the piano? I think that should be a resounding yes. And, and Paul, and, and Paul doing the, the sound. We trust each other. So we're going to think about trust a bit today. And I was trying to think of a hymn about trust. And it's a really golden oldie. You've got a few golden oldies today because I'm going to give you a right stinker later on. Uh, but a good golden oldie. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, and then it says, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Thank you.
first reading this morning is Psalm 20, entitled, A Prayer for Victory. May the Lord answer you when you are in trouble. May the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from his temple and give you aid from Mount Zion. May he accept all your offerings and be pleased with all your sacrifices. May he give you what you desire and make all your plans succeed. Then we will shout for joy over your victory and celebrate your triumph by praising our God. May the Lord answer all your requests. Now I know that the Lord gives victory to his chosen king. He answers him from his holy heaven and by his power gives him great victories. Some trust in their war chariots and others in their horses, but we trust in the power of the Lord, our God. Such people will stumble and fall, but we will rise and stand firm. Give victory to the King. O Lord, answer us when we call. Second reading is Psalm 146 in praise of God the Saviour. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise him as long as I live. I will sing to my God all my life. Don't put your trust in human leaders. No human being can save you. When they die, they return to the dust. On that day, all their plans come to an end. Happy are those who have the God of Jacob to help them and who depend on the Lord their God, the creator of heaven, earth and sea and all that is in them. He always keeps his promises. He judges in favour of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free and gives sight to the blind. He lifts those who have fallen and he loves his righteous people. He protects the strangers who live in our land. He helps widows and orphans, but takes the wicked to their ruin. The Lord is king forever. Your God, O Zion, will reign for all time. Praise the Lord.
it's really lovely. I'm going to begin today with part of a poem that was written at the end of the 19th century. You may or may not recognise it, but whether you recognise it or whether you don't, as you listen, I would like to invite you to try and be alert to any feelings that it might raise within you. The earth is full of anger. The seas are dark with wrath. The nations in their harness go up against our path. Ere yet we loose the legions, ere yet we draw the blade. Jehovah, God of thunders, Lord God of battles, aid. High lust and forward bearing, proud heart, rebellious brow, deaf ear and soul uncaring, we seek thy mercy now. The sinner that forswore thee, the fool that passed thee by, our times are known before thee. Lord, grant us strength to die. Does anybody recognise it? Okay, that's right. Don't, sorry. Okay. I don't think so. Um, I hope not. <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. It, it could have Maybe they do. I haven't watched it for so many years. I've no idea. It's part of a poem written by Rudyard Kipling. And it's entitled Him Before Action. And it was chosen by the composer Carl Jenkins for use within his work, The Armed Man, A Mass for Peace. And if you're familiar with that work, you'll understand that he, he sort of takes things and subverts them. Both Jenkins in our time and Kipling in his drew on an old custom whereby those who were about to go off to war would, the night before, participate in an act of religious worship, typically a mass, in which prayers would be offered for success in battle, courage in the event of death, and, ideally, the safe return of those involved. This poem, or hymn, by Kipling was deemed controversial. In 1930, a choir refused to sing it. And if Wikipedia is to be trusted, and in this case I'm going to trust that it's okay to use Wikipedia, the choir's secretary said this. It might be appropriate for troops of savages bent on slaughter, but it presents a primitive, unworthy conception of the deity. The idea of a god who takes side in battle, that anyone should invoke divine favour in the course of war, is surely, for us, anathema. And yet, in our own time, similar kinds of prayers do get offered, if not for literal battles, then on the eve of elections or referenda. People pray for success in exams or in job interviews, and some at least half seriously for the results of football or rugby matches. Sorry, Jeff. 
Psalm 20 is an example of a prayer offered before a king leads his army into battle, and it somehow found its way into sacred scripture. And therefore, it's something that we might read devotionally, trying to listen for God speaking to us through it. But it's also a very troubling text because it can and probably should evoke strong reactions within us and we need to read it carefully and cautiously. In approaching this psalm, we need to keep in mind something of the history, the story of the emergent nature of Israel as a nation. Repeatedly, they'd said to God, we want a king. That nation's got a king. We want a king. And God had said, no, 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 you don't want a king. Trust me, you do not want a king. But somehow they felt inferior and they kept on going back to the prophets and saying, tell God we want a king. Samuel would then say, you know, it's not a good idea. Kings are fallible. Kings are demanding. But no, they would have a king. And eventually we're told that God agrees to their demands and calls out first Samuel, sorry, first Saul, and then when that all goes belly up, David, who wasn't exactly perfect either. But the idea that their king was chosen by God meant they thought that this was God's person and that affected the way they viewed him. And perhaps helps us to understand why they might choose to pray as they did before he went to battle. Wars in ancient times weren't necessarily about overthrowing tyrants or as earthly power struggles and conquests of land. There was also a strong cultic element there to determine whose god was stronger and more powerful. A prayer that ran please look after our king and help him to win, could actually have been expressed as, well, you show that you're more powerful than their God. And that's scary stuff as well. It shows an intertwining of state and religion that's way beyond anything that we can imagine in our own Western society. So having recognised that this is a difficult psalm, Having recognised that it reflects a context very different from our own, let's just take a look at it. If we look at the language, what we discover is you can divide this psalm into two parts, which suggests it may well have been a liturgy for public worship. The first six verses are addressed to the king, could have been David, could have been some other king, who is about to go into battle and it consists of a series of prayers for his well-being and success in his endeavours. And then after that, it changes from you language to I language, and we get his response and affirmation. And then it goes back again to you language when the people pray, God save the king. If for a moment we can set aside the context of battle, then perhaps its form as a religious rite of commissioning for a national leader becomes apparent to us. And if we make that connection, then the form and context, context of sorry, form and content of such inaugurations, coronations, 
or swearings in in our own time is something we could usefully contemplate further. But as my teachers used to say, I'm leaving that as an exercise for the student. It's in the second part of the psalm, the response of the king, that I found what the thing I wanted to ponder a bit further. And I think it's pertinent not only to kings or leaders of nations, but to us, the people over whom they may hold authority. It was this bit. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. The question that prompts is where ultimately do we as individuals, communities or nations place our trust? What might be the present day equivalents of horses and chariots? Intellect and knowledge? Wealth and finance? Science and technology? Are there individuals or organisations that we deem to be trustworthy or expect to be trustworthy and who by their very existence influence our attitudes and actions? Whatever sphere of life it is, however large or small the scale, some element of trust is essential. If I want to take the bus to town, I have to trust it will run at least roughly on time. If I have a medical concern, I have to trust that the professionals know how best to treat it. And if I vote for a candidate in a local or national or even international election, I do so trusting that they will do their best to fulfil their pledges. And in each of these relatively simple examples, we immediately see the limits and fallibility of human endeavour. Because buses do run late. And medical concerns aren't always easy to diagnose or treat. And even the best of politicians are constrained by systems and complexities that require, at the very best, a compromise and sometimes the least of many evils as a response. Trust in humans is vital. It's also fragile, and if damaged, it's difficult, sometimes impossible to restore. It is a fact that even the very best people will sometimes disappoint us or fall short of what we'd hoped. And so this train of thought, inspired by the verses in Psalm 20, reminded me of some words in Psalm 146, which was our second reading. Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. There's no attribution for this psalm. We don't know who wrote it. But scholars suggest it's probably post-exilic, after the exile, in which case it reflects a very different context from Psalm 20. After a long succession of kings, some good, many apparently not even remotely good, 
And after being taken captive in Babylon, now the people start to rebuild their lives. Born of hard experience and long reflection, they sing a very different song in which the frailty and fallibility and finitude of human leaders is acknowledged. In the end, the one constant, the only dependable hope is in God, who remains faithful forever and whose values are those of justice and peace. It runs thus. God who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He upholds the orphan and the widow. And then the caution. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. These are pretty much the values that Jesus preached. The values that offer us hope for a troubled world where we could so easily despair. And I can't help but be struck by the references to strangers, widows and orphans in the right light of recent legislative moves from the White House and from Westminster. But I'm also struck how easy it is to rage without understanding the complexity of issues and perhaps more significantly to rage and still do nothing. If, and I think this is the case, we believe that democracy is generally a good thing, and if we believe, and I also think this is the case, that on the whole people enter politics with good motives, wanting to make a better world, however they may understand that to be, then it does seem important that we pray for those interested to act on our behalf. Our prayers will be very different from Psalm 20, or at least I hope they will. But that is, within its own context, a prayer for a leader. When I was reading commentaries this week, one of them I got out was the 17th century Matthew Henry commentary, which I have in the concise form, not the huge form. He talks a lot of sense that is actually timeless. And on Psalm 20, he says, offers this comment. Neither crown nor grace free a king from trouble. Even the greatest of men must be much in prayer. Pray that God would protect his person and preserve his life. That God would enable him, we would add, or her, to go about all his undertakings for the public good. That seems to me to be wise. And rather than king, we could substitute the title of any political leader. Pray that God would watch over our own first minister and enable her to go about all her undertakings in the public good, and the prime minister, and yes, even the president of the United States. If we think, though, that any human institution is going to deliver all we dream of, we're going to be disappointed. As followers of Jesus, we who own the values sung in what we call Psalm 146, 
who know that human endeavour will never be enough to achieve this vision, we find ourselves driven to prayer and to action. Not always easy to know what to do. Not always easy to know what to say. But sometimes I think we have to recognise a need to get involved in politics, at least with a small p. Faith has to inform our politics, privately and personally, and publicly and collectively. This song, this psalm, if nothing else, reminds us to pray for those in authority, but to do so trusting ultimately in God and the values of God's kingdom. Amen. The next hymn we're going to sing is Tricky to Get the Words to Fit. It's a hymn that was written some time ago in the Iona community, and it's not the most beautiful poetry, but it has an incredibly timeless quality about it and seems to me, in the face of recent news events, incredibly pertinent. You may well know the tune. Um, it's a Geordie folk tune sung by or about people who loaded coal onto keels, um, which were like barges that were then taken off, off along the river to be sold. Um, so Sheila's going to play it through first, and we've got to try not to get ahead of her because it's that kind of tune that you can sing faster than you can think. Power stalks the earth, both by purpose and accident.
So now we come to God in our prayers for others. Let's pray together. Lord God, we come before you to pray for the church, for the world and for ourselves. We have prayed for the church and the world and ourselves before. And after praying, we have sometimes seen things change. Shards of your kingdom light illuminating the dark, overcoming evil in the outer and inner places. And after praying, we have sometimes struggled to perceive any change at all. It has sometimes felt as if our praying was somehow wasted, our prayers unheard. But you tell us that this is not so. And you remind us that your grace, mercy and transforming spirit are lavished upon us unconditionally simply because of your overwhelming love for the church, the world, and each of us. And again, we find ourselves sitting with the disciples, asking you to teach us how to pray. Help us in our praying to understand persistence, to glimpse your purposes and to be full of faith believing that our praying unites us with you in your work of salvation, reconciling all creation to yourself. So we pray for the church in the world, bringing before you all our brothers and sisters who are imprisoned because they are your followers. We pray for them strength, courage, and your peace to sit deeply within them. Help us to understand that we are bound to them by your spirit, and until they are free, we are held captive too. We pray for the church in difficult places, that you would imbue her with gifts of peacemaking and of reconciliation. May her witness to the Prince of Peace help many to know you and the way of Christ in their lives. We pray for those in lands torn apart by war, that those who have power and authority to act may seize the gifts and graces of peace that you desire for all people. Help hardened hearts to melt. Give blinded eyes new sight. Let powers and principalities come tumbling down. We pray for those who are involved in peacework, whose names we don't know and whose deeds go unsung. But today, Lord, grant them blessing. We pray for ourselves. We bring before you those prayers we have prayed for a long time and to which we perhaps cannot discern any response. 
in the silence of our hearts, we bring before God people, situations and personal concerns. We offer you these prayers, our hopes and our dreams. Hear them, take them, hold them. And in the people and situations mentioned, give us confidence of faith that you are at work, whether we can see it or not. And let that be enough. And this we pray in the name of Jesus, our friend and brother. Amen. Generous and gracious God, accept these our gifts of money and help us to use them wisely in your service. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. And so another great hymn of God's freedom and God's justice to close. God of freedom, God of justice. Please stand if you're able as we sing.
Lead us from death to life, from falsehood to truth. Lead us from despair to hope, from fear to trust. Lead us from hate to love, from war to peace. Let peace fill our hearts, our world, our universe.